From APM American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. That's a group of New York University students protesting in Washington Square Park this spring. They're repeating a refrain that can be heard on campuses across the country. Students are urging their colleges and universities to divest from fossil fuels. Divestment is short for disinvestment. It's a strategy used in social change movements, in this case, climate change. The belief is that if colleges and universities pull oil and gas companies from their endowment portfolios, those firms will take a financial hit and create less demand for fossil fuels, which contribute to global warming. It turns out, though, that no one really believes the divestment will have a direct monetary impact on fossil fuel companies. The value of the energy and natural resources industries is much higher than the combined amount colleges and universities have invested in the sector. But supporters of divestment say such actions would be symbolic and could affect change in other ways. Critics of the idea say if colleges stop investing in oil and gas, their endowments will shrink and there will be less money to support vital institutional needs like scholarships. A growing number of U.S. campuses are committing to some form of divestment from fossil fuels. These include well-known schools like Stanford University and the University of Washington and some smaller places like Green Mountain College in Vermont and Brevard College in North Carolina. Pat Oles is a professor of social work at Skidmore College, and he served on a campus committee that was considering divestment there. Oles wrote an opinion piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education last month entitled, Institutions Misplaced Fear of Fossil Fuel Divestment. Pat Oles, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. So you start off your commentary in the Chronicle of Higher Education by saying the campus divestment movement is losing. Why is it losing? Well, um, it's losing for a variety of reasons. You could say that the most prevalent reason is that when you're talking about divestment, you're asking colleges to think about uh, their revenue, asking them to think about putting at risk uh, funds that they consider precious and aimed at uh, important programs that they run. Uh, and most of the demands and conversations, you know, talk about climate change, big global problems. But most of the decision makers at, in these very particular locations are thinking in very local specific terms. So I think there's been a mismatch between the kind of the strategy and the tactics of the divestment movement at this stage. And I, th- I think it's, a, it's, it's kind of a familiar pattern. I think that one of the things that the divestment movement did extraordinarily well was they mobilized students. They did a great job of putting pressure on colleges, of getting people engaged. And that's what got um, divestment on the agenda. But then at the next phase, which is kind of a nitty-gritty, kind of in the belly of the beast kind of stage, um, pressure tactics um, become less potent. And it becomes an argument among, you know, administrators and trustees and investment advisors and so forth. And at this phase of the work, uh, faculty, staff, administrators, trustees have, I think, let students down. Can you give a simple explanation of how college and university endowments work? I mean, many people may not be familiar with them and may not be familiar with the fact that places like Harvard. Harvard has the largest in the country at nearly $36 billion. Uh, MIT, $12.5 billion. And many smaller colleges have endowments uh, either in the hundreds of millions or in the low billions. 
the vast majority of endowment resources are now invested in private equity funds. Uh, another way you hear that referred to as the, the funds are commingled. So a college with um, hundreds of millions of dollars will put some portion, say they, have, they might invest their endowment in up to 50, 60, 70 different funds. Each fund will employ a different strategy aiming at a particular sector of the market or using some kind of quantitative formula. And um, those funds will take resources from many colleges. They will co-mingle them. That's the phrase you hear all the time, co-mingled funds. And these are stock funds, correct? These are stock funds, or they may um, just invest in derivatives uh, or in um, assets directly. They might own uh, oil tankers or own you know, claims on oil tankers or almond farms. But the, the key factor from a college's point of view is when they give however many millions of dollars they give to a particular fund, they uh, relinquish control over how those funds are used. And at the same time, the advisor, and if you think of investment strategy, investment strategy really is a matter of deciding to invest in one thing as opposed to another thing. So the decision about where to invest is the essential skill. It's the essential service that the fund is selling, if you will, to the college. So um, since that's the structure of the industry, the, um, the, the demand that an investment advisor not uh, invest in, say, the top 200 carbon-producing firms in the world is taking away from a fund advisor a range of companies uh, she or he may decide or prefer to uh, invest in. Um, so it's, it's that combination. On the one hand, colleges are giving up control over where the money is used once they give it to a particular manager. And the manager's insistence that they control where the funds go, that's this middle-range, non-climate-focused aspect of the debate where divestment um, has failed. Is there any evidence that uh, schools divesting would actually have much of an impact on the oil and gas and, and other carbon fuel sectors? Well, uh, no. I mean, in many respects, that's, that, that's one of the strongest arguments against divestment. The opponents argue, and I, I, I wouldn't really want to too strenuously object to this line of argument. They argue that um, colleges and universities don't control enough capital to really affect the cost of capital for fossil fuel industries, and that therefore yeah, it's a fool's errand. Now, that, that's, that's maybe accurate. Um, it is, I mean, the marketplace is larger than, obviously, college and university endowment funds. And previous divestment efforts, South Africa is one of the most commonly cited divestment effort. This was in the, in the early 1980s, right? That's correct. Many, some people argue that uh, college and university um, you know, participating in the boycott did not materially affect the performance of you know, relevant uh, corporations. Um, and so kind of as a self-contained argument, that makes some sense. But I don't, think it's, it's, I don't think it captures the field fully enough or accurately enough. So one thing I say to my students as they think about that um, particular dynamic, you might also say, if you asked colleges and universities that participated in the boycott against apartheid, now 30 years later, do they wish they hadn't? 
that even though their behavior did not materially affect the stock price of Name Your Corporation, do they wish they had stayed in? And I think every single college and university that participated in the boycott uh, is relieved and pleased that they sided with the angels. Were the risks the same as they are now, though? Were the risks in divesting from Coca-Cola, for example? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm really qualified to answer that. Um, but, but I think, yes, because what we're talking about are the risks, on the one hand, to the firm's you know, capital structure or to the college's returns. And I don't think that those fundamental logics have changed. The numbers, you know, the scale may have and you know but but i don't think that that the basic logic in the challenge is any different i think that why why colleges are glad they boycotted during apartheid is because they recognized that the currency they were spending was their moral um, standing you know that in a sense what they were saying is we're a type of institution that considers things in addition to or different from just how much money you make so in my view kind of limiting the argument to the kind of the capital structure of you know of particular firms is is to miss what our purpose is and what our function is in broader terms you sat on a committee uh, at your school skidmore that just released a report on the feasibility of divestment. What did the report say and what do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. It's with our um, board of trustees. It was a good, robust um, discussion among people with um, different opinions. We did not um, recommend that the college divest from the 200 stocks as recommended by change.org um, for a variety of reasons. I feel, I feel a little bit more comfortable talking about um, the issue in general than kind of a report that's winding its way through the final, you know, internal stages. You know, I don't think it's really possible to meet the demands um, with, the, you know, the 200 largest firms, which is the most common form of the demand. I think that, um, you know, carbon is so implicated in our lives still that um, we aren't able to uh, extricate ourselves fully at this time. I can't see the logic of um, demanding that we sell you know, whatever holdings we, we might have in Exxon or name your fossil fuel uh, company at the same time that we're driving to work and flying to a professional meetings across the country. You know, so I think um, I've tempered my view to think of it more as a ramp than a cliff. You know, we're going to have to kind of climb out of our dependence on oil. We're going to have to climb out of our uh, investments in various kinds of stocks. I think it's wise to be prudent uh, about where you then put the money. I mean, uh, divestment, it, it, I think it's unfortunately named. I mean, it's mostly refers to selling stocks in carbon. Um, but I think uh, a more robust role for higher education is to invest in alternatives and renewables and efficiencies to be part of the effort to create a new energy system. And I just think that's going to take time. So uh, our report um, offers the trustees um, support for getting on the ramp. I think that uh, another thing that um, is an element of my thinking and um, you know the thinking of the college as or the committee as it evolves is um, you know that there should be you know in a sense our allocation of capital as individuals and as institutions should be aligned with our values. 
and that as a community, colleges should uh, think carefully about where they invest their money, what values are expressed in that behavior. And as educators with students and as actors in the institutions we're part of, we should um, kind of repudiate um, kind of profit as the sole motive for investment decisions and imbue a more socially responsible effort, a more transparently socially responsible uh, ethos in our investment practices. Pat Oles is a professor of social work at Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York. He served on the college's task force on divestment. Pat Oles, thanks so much. You're welcome. You can find a link to Oles' commentary on divestment in the Chronicle of Higher Education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, you'll find podcasts about many other issues in higher education and K-12 education. You can also browse the archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. AmericanRadioWorks.org. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and we're on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, Lumina Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.